you, sir. All right, First Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter number 2. Here you go, Brother Brad. You put that in the plate. Thank you. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, um, good to see Brother Bob with us. He recently lost his wife, was here for years, and then um, Miss Debbie got sick, and she's gone on to be with the Lord, and so he's come back and taken his spot there on the second row, which is where they were for years. So it's good to see you. We're really glad that you're here. Good to have all of you here. And uh, for those of you that are not familiar with what we're doing right now in Sunday school, we are uh, studying what preaching is supposed to be about and what preaching is supposed to be like. And the reason that I went down this road as we studied into what the local church is to be about and what it's for is that there were many individuals that came from different backgrounds. Now, those of you that are Bible believers, and you came up around here when uh, Dr. Ruckman came here for the first 23 years um, that we really initially got started all the way back over into the old building, and uh, you were exposed to things that became commonplace to you. You're very accustomed to it. The preachers that we had here and the individuals that we had come through are all uh, King James, rightly dividers, and those kind of things. Uh, many of you nowadays are starting to recognize that a lot of the visitors that we're getting are not coming from independent Bible-believing Baptist churches. And as a result, they are not familiar with the way that uh, the Bible says that things ought to be done. Not just, quote, how we do them, but uh, how things are supposed to be done according to the Bible. And so the best thing to do is, is to point them to the Bible so that they wind up getting uh, comfortable with and understanding that. A lot of them came from uh, where they would have 45 minutes of singing and 20 minutes of preaching. Here that's generally reversed. Uh, here you'll get about 20 minutes of singing, including congregational, and you'll get 45 minutes to an hour worth of preaching because the local church is supposed to be about encouraging you, strengthening you, and giving you instruction, not just reproof and, and uh, uh, getting on to you rebuking, but it's also encouraging. Instruction and in righteousness becomes important for you to, uh, to understand. Uh, for you to edify one another is to encourage one another. It's to let you know you're on the right path. And uh, sometimes Christians, it, it's not because they're being obstinate. And I hope I can put this across to you because some of you older saints, you've been around for a while and you're like, well, what is their problem? Their problem is they weren't raised like you were raised. They don't know what you know and what you've learned to take for granted that you just think everybody knew it. They don't know those things. And, uh, and so they're here now and it's our job to instruct them, not just from the pulpit, but also when you sit down with them to be gracious and be patient with them because they're where you were 35 years ago. And many of us, when we started 35 years ago, we came out of the Southern Baptist way of doing things. And many of us had been Southern Baptist since nine months before we were born. And we didn't understand the Bible-believing way. And we forget that now that we're 35 years down the road and we forget where it was that we started. So as the Lord continues to give the increase here and the visitors continue to pile in, recognize that things as simple as baptism, they don't understand why we don't believe that it saves you. They don't understand that when we have the Lord's Supper that it doesn't save you, especially if they come from a Catholic background. 
So what I'm trying to do is give some instruction or lay the groundwork, the foundation, whereupon they understand that we're not just coming up with some kind of cultish mindset. What we're trying to do is, is to let them know the parameters. Now, I don't speak as somebody that's expert in this. I've taught enough classes to know this, that generally speaking, what you do is you have to submit a teaching syllabus to whoever it is that you're teaching for and about in order for them to know what the purpose of the course is. As a matter of fact, if you're in college, they'll tell you what you can expect in the course. Professors will get up and give you an overall general view of what it is you're going to get in their courses. And sometimes that's to the exclusion of other things. So here we consider ourselves to be a, a chicken house. If you want to learn about all the other things, then you have to go somewhere other than here. Why? Because we have chicken about every way you can fix it, but we're not into making the hamburgers here. Do you understand the correlation? Uh, somebody comes here and they've been working at McDonald's all their whole life, and then they come over here and we say, well, this is Burger King. Well, I know how to make a hamburger. No, you know how to make a McDonald's hamburger. Here we're Burger King, right? All right, so if you make that analogy, you understand that they are only going by what they know and have had confidence in, and they have to be trained out of that and taught with confidence. It's okay to turn loose of some of those things that they held on to that were traditions. The Bible teaches clearly that by your traditions, you make the Word of God a none effect. I showed you the passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 on Wednesday night that it effectually worketh in them that believe. So, so they have to... Listen, I'm not for you coming except for salvation. I'm not for you coming to your beliefs instantaneously. Gradually over a period of time, if the instruction is proper, it will feel natural or normal for you to go, you know what, that makes sense to me now. Uh, I've said this before, and I, I, I'm ashamed that I said it or put it in the context that I did. I struggled with algebra in the ninth and the 10th grade, and I made it out like I was an, an idiot or a rebel. The bottom line is, I was just lazy. I had the mental aptitude to be able to do it. How do I know? Because when my dad turned the heat up, I was able to get out of that thing with a B, almost an A. And all that had to do with was me applying myself and doing something I didn't want to do. I lacked the character that it took to do things I didn't like to do. That's what school is about. And unfortunately, at times, that's what church is about. Church sometimes requires you to apply character because you have to learn things about yourself you don't like to know. And it requires character to read your Bible every day. It's not natural for you to want to do that. It requires character for you to come to church. It requires character for you to do in things when he says in Galatians 5, to walk in the Spirit. It requires you to do things that are contrary to what you would want to do naturally. So when it comes to Sunday school, it's a time for you to learn some things that you don't know. And as you learn those things... And as you see the proof of those things in the Bible, it's like, um, I don't want to get you to raise your hands because some of you might have been a defendant, but if any of you have ever been in court before, when you walk into the court, if you're in the jury box, you have to go through all these questions and voir dire and all the other kind of deal. And when they finally get you, where's Miss Elaine? Did I do good on that? That'll do good. Okay. And then after they pick and they kick out who and everybody gets one to pick and everybody gets to kick one off or whatever the reason might be and then they run through there and accept the juries and all that. And then you're sitting on the jury. You're in there with a blank slate. That's the intent. It's their job of the attorneys to convince you that either a guy's guilty or not guilty. 
But you don't just automatically walk in and have your mind made and just accept that because he's been charged that he's automatically guilty. I mean, that's what I do, but you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I'm figuring he must have been in the wrong place at the wrong time or he wouldn't be sitting in there. So, I, you know, but that's the reason that you have defense attorneys to make sure everybody gets a fair trial and so on and so forth. Here's what I need you to realize. You have to sit there for however long it might be for whatever it is that he's charged with until you're ready to go and sit down and have deliberations. Are you with me so far? And then you defend your position based on what you believe. And what the evidence says. You, you can't go by, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. They had him eat so much salt and drink so much water that his hand looked like the Michelin tire man, you know, when it got ready to be on there. And, and all that blood had dried up and made... Anyway, here's the deal. When it comes to instruction in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to give people time to not just write off. It's easy for me, but I'm in the Bible a lot. Do you understand? And over a period of a number of years, I've come to trust if God says it, that settles it. But you have to come to that knowledge yourself. This isn't about driving your point home because you said it, that settles it. No, it's about you settling things. Listen, you can heat up the head, but you have to melt the heart. And if that thing is not where your heart is melted, it doesn't do you any good up here. It has to settle and melt the portion of your heart that changes the direction. Uh, he says about, uh, about salvation, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So when it comes to those things, don't get frustrated or aggravated that the people are not there. We're back in the uh, elementary school years for some things, for some of you. I realize that. Many of you are postgraduates and you got all that other stuff. I understand that. But it doesn't hurt to go back and reiterate those things. If anything else, you should be able to look back and think, man, where would I be if God hadn't... Helped me along the way. Well, then what do we do? We leave our position in that high and lofty place and the high chair up here and you go back over here and you try to bring some people along with you. Now, that's when the book has done you some real good. It's when you quit making it about you and start making it about others. Amen. Your first order of business is your relationship with Jesus. The second order of business is others. And when you get mature, you're on the bottom of the pile and you don't care. It's about everybody else. I hope that understand I hope you understand what I'm trying to get across to you so that you understand that when it comes to the Bible, that there's certain things that you have to be willing to do. It's not just a, a, a test of your ability to sit and listen. It's a sit and listen and understand. Amen. But don't frustrate yourself, and I'll say this and we'll come to our passage here. Don't frustrate yourself because you don't get it all in one bite. It took us years to grab a hold of that. It would be like you walking into a class and somebody's teaching you something you've never heard before and you walk out of class after the first hour and think to yourself, well, why didn't I know that? And how come I can't grasp that? Well, you have to build it slowly. And gradually over a period of time, you get confidence, not just in the text, but in the professor teaching the text. Do you understand? 
So part of that is an exchange. That's why Paul said that when you watched me, I was something that I not just said it, I also did it. You saw in me what I'm demonstrating to you physically. You saw it uh, uh, as far as intellectually. You saw me teaching the words, but you saw me living by the words I taught. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't happen in one hour in the pulpit. You have to watch somebody for a long period of time and you look at their life over a span of time. That's why the Lord said, uh, not a novice, lest being overtaken in pride. You say, why? The short lifespan. You had not been put to the test yet. The long term, the long time, the ins and outs of life and dealing with life and dealing with family and friends and, and death and disabilities, all the things we talked about last week in the Sunday morning message. Uh, time has a way of measuring all things. It is the greatest judge that there is. You hear somebody say, you know, I, I walk down here in the aisle until death do us part. And then you're in the courthouse. Um, it's not the unpardonable sin, but don't panic. I just said, see, time changes things. I'll never leave the church. I'll never forsake the church. I'll never forsake Jesus. Jesus has done so much for me. I just want to thank God for my salvation and thank God He saved me and I'll never desert Him. Next thing you know, you're in a boat going fishing. See, it never happened to me. It happened to Peter. It happened to all the other apostles too. Now the thing is, is time begins to, to measure that. He begins to judge you. It's the silent judge of all things. I'm going to do this, 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 I'm going to do this. Cancer. Some other di- uh, uh, disabling disease. Well, I thought you were going to do all those things. Well, something happened. What happened? Sidetracked you, right? All right, take your Bible now and look, if you will, please, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Now I hope that helps you to understand why we're, why we're going over that. When you have uh, 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 straight Bible preaching, and that doesn't mean animal stories, and it doesn't mean, you know, Walt Disney taking Walt Disney characters and trying to turn them into something to try to stimulate your visual uh, things of that kind of a deal. You're wooden for preaching that's from the Bible. Expository preaching is the best preaching. It teaches you the Bible at the same time you're learning. He has plenty of pictures. When you look at the pictures that are in his Bible, ladies and gentlemen, you'll find his portrait on every page. But it's not a picture you see. It's depending on where your heart is at the time. Don't you see a different view of him at different times? Don't you see him as a suffering savior sometimes? Don't you see him as a prosecutor sometimes? Don't you see him as a comforter sometimes? Don't you see him as a judge sometimes? In the Old Testament, he judges nations. In the New Testament, he judges individuals. You won't find judgment of nations in the New Testament. You find individuals. But in the Old Testament, you find judgment of nations. You want to know what's going to happen to your nation? You go into the Old Testament. And you read that. You know what you find out? God's the judgment of a judge of nations. You come to the New Testament, you see a different side of Him, don't you? He's judging you as individuals. You have a judgment seat of Christ for the bride of Christ. Does that make sense? Amen. Some of you, you came here, you'd never heard of the judgment seat of Christ. You thought it's just a general judgment at the end of everything. My salvation is secure. I'm trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and I know I'm going to heaven. But there's a judgment day for me. But it won't be whether or not I'm in or out of heaven. It'll be what I did for Jesus Christ. Now, if you haven't been around many uh, churches, they don't teach that. They teach just a general judgment. The good ones go here and the bad ones go here. 
They'll teach you out of Matthew chapter number 25. They'll teach you a thing which applies to the judgment of nations that takes place at the end of the tribulation period, right after the battle of Armageddon is over with. Excuse me, what they do is, is they come in and they teach that. Well, that's a sheep nation and the goat nation. And if you're a sheep, you go in. And if you're a goat, you go out. That's a judgment that has to do with people and how they treated the Jew in the tribulation. Now, I don't recommend that you treat the Jew badly. But if you're saved and you treat the Jew badly, you're not going to go to hell for it. But in the tribulation, if you treat the Jew badly, you'll go to hell for it. If you don't rightly divide your Bible, the Bible becomes a mess. You say, well, preacher, you can't say that. I can say I can't lose my salvation. Amen. You say, well, you blaspheme the Holy Ghost and all that. I can't blaspheme the Holy Ghost. You say, what well, I have to have Jesus here in person for me to accuse him of having a devil and working that way. That's not, that, that Benny Hinn stuff, that doesn't concern me at all. Don't get on to me for telling you that you're the one committing blasphemy. Tell me I'm blaspheming you because I say you're doing it under the power of the devil. You are doing it under the power of the devil. Blasphemy, according to what the Bible teaches you in the gospel, the Lord himself is, is accusing Jesus Christ of having a devil. Well, you can't commit that. The only sin you can commit in the day and age in which you are that is unpardonable, you need to get this, especially if you're new, is rejecting Jesus Christ. You can't, you can't, there's no other way you can lose it. Once you got it, it's not even, once you have it, it's not even yours. It's His. Isn't that something? And then He takes that back and saves you, gives eternal security to you, and then He still doesn't disturb your free will. Boy, I'd love to preach a message on that this morning, but i got to get to this right now. Some of you people could understand that if even the Lord and the Holy Spirit don't encroach upon your free will, if you'd stop and stay in your own lane and stop trying to encroach on other people's free will, you'd be a lot happier. You're always worried about what everybody's not doing and what everybody should do and what everybody should do. If the Holy Spirit can't get them here, what makes you think you can? You entice them with some apple pie? And then next week it'll be apple pie and ice cream. And then next week it'll be apple pie, ice cream, and coffee. And then next week we'll apple pie and ice cream, coffee, and some hot chocolate behind that. And then it's whatever you use to get them, you have to keep, use to keep them. And you have to one-up it. That's why the best thing to do is just give them the book. It's a bottomless well. You'll never get to the bottom of it. You give them what's in the book, and then they do with it whatever they want to do with it. You say, what? It's free will. We take up an offering around here. I don't hammer you about tithing and all that other stuff. God loves a cheerful giver. Throw it in the plate or keep it. It's yours. Do with it. But preacher, we need money. God's providing. That's an issue between you and Him. That's what you don't like. You don't like the fact that God's one dealing with you about, not the preacher. Not the pastor, not the church. I don't send you out a statement you uh, put in a pledge for the uh, quarter and you're uh, running behind on your quarterly dues. Say in a country club or something, you got to pay quarterly dues to be a part of it. What in the cat hair is that? You give as God's prospered you. Doesn't He prosper you some, some more months than others? Well, then what do I do? Well, that thing's on a moving scale, isn't it? Some of you elderly folks around here, y'all get so nervous when I get on this stuff. You say, well, preacher, if people aren't, listen, I guarantee you, and I have to ask him to make sure it's true, but I guarantee there have been people who've been here for 30 years, probably never gave a dime. Or either they're one of those, <laughs> or they're either one of those right hand or left handers, you know, they don't want anybody to know it. Well, somebody's got to turn the lights on. 
somebody's got to put toilet paper in the bathrooms back there and paper towels in the kitchen and take care of the kids. I mean, you're running air conditioner right now like nobody's business. You've got a hundred and something bags up there in the upstairs deal. The air conditioner has to stay on so the stuff up there doesn't melt. Who pays for that? Well, church is supposed to be free. The gospel's free. There are certain things that cost. Uh, I want you to just go to work tomorrow and tell your boss, don't give me a paycheck. And go to your boss and say, I don't care if the toilet flushes. And go to your boss and say, I know it's 102 degrees heat index outside, but I don't care if you have air conditioning. Raise the window. It's funny where your treasure is, isn't it? Yeah, where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. But what somebody else does is none of your business. That's between them and God. The issue is, are you square with God? That's all that matters. I'm going to call you a God robber <laughs> and hit you with a Malachi 3.10 and use a farming passage to put that on you. you. Some of you are finally waking up to the real truth about farming anyway. First Thessalonians. Chapter number 2. Notice he says, For this cause also thank we, verse 13, God without ceasing. Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us... Now remember, they don't have a printed text. All they have is Paul and uh, them teaching. Paul and Silas and Paul and Peter and all the other ones. And by this time, it's only Apostle Paul is teaching with the ones that are following him. The word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things in your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Preaching is supposed to inform you that with the gospel comes conflict. With living right, comes conflict, controversy. If you're going to do what's right to do, preaching is supposed to inform you that it's not going to be prosper, uh, always prosperity for you. Our prosperity comes in the hereafter. If we have prosperity here, it's just God's grace. But it's not guaranteed to you. Now, many people have misunderstood that and think it's their job to go out there and create controversy. These boys go out on the street there in St. Augustine yesterday and preaching, and that's a blessing and so on and so forth. But I told them, I said, you don't need to go out to the mall. Not right now. You say, why? Well, because of what's going on in New York and Cincinnati and uh, what's going on in Philadelphia, Los Angeles, what's going on in San Francisco and in Houston and in Dallas, is every time there's a group of these kids in New York, they're gathering together. Within a short period of time, they have the equivalent of a flash mob, and then they run out there and they go into stores and they do retail theft. And in some of those places I mentioned to you, you're not allowed to arrest anybody unless they've taken over $1,000 worth of merchandise. Well, by the time they've assimilated themselves and they go into a store and they're in and out, you don't have enough police to be able to do anything with it. So now what they're doing as a reaction to that is, is that when mall security sees a bunch of people gathered together creating any kind of insurrection at all, they swarm them before it gets out of hand. Well, bless God, they don't have... That's private property. I'm not against preaching. But why don't you go on a public street and do it that way and 
recognize that you have a responsibility when you go out to act responsibly. You don't have to create trouble. You can go out and just hold a sign and people will be offended by it right off the bat. You can just hand somebody a track. They'll be offended right off the bat. What a preacher is supposed to do is to let you know that don't expect everybody to fall on their knees and lift their hands and praise Jesus the minute you hand them a track or tell them evangelistically what Jesus did for you. I believe you should be doing that as a part of your everyday life. Give somebody a track, tell them about Jesus, look for a way to get in there. But you don't have to create controversy. That, that doesn't make you spiritual, it makes you stupid. But if you do what you're supposed to do, with that is going to come conflict and controversy. Just don't be the one that stirs that up. And take your Bible and come to the book of Colossians. Now one of the things that happens is, is if I start living a life with more uh, rules and regulations and things like that, and uh, I follow whatever it may be, there are a number of preachers nowadays that are teaching that your salvation is still, uh, your, your eternal security is still an unknown variable. And what they're teaching you nowadays is, is that they're, if you're really saved, you're going to do the following things, and then they add whatever their list of things are. Now be honest right now. Do you honestly, have you felt saved 24 hours a day, 7 days a week? I mean, all the time, if you looked at your microcosm of your life, could you look in the mirror and say, you say, I may be doing good now. Yeah, you get a little older, things get a little better. You look a little more spiritual, but it's just because of age, not because of your heart. I know why old people don't dance. You're afraid you'll break something. Or you'll look like a chicken with their head cut off. Amen. And, you know, but, you know, now it's like, you know, it's spiritual not to dance. I don't believe in dancing. Don't worry about that kind of stuff. I mean, anyway, there's a lot of jokes that just flooded my mind there. But, but recognize this, ladies and gentlemen. As you learn to live for the Lord, you know what the thing begins to do is you stop using yourself as the benchmark for spirituality. Find for me one place where Jesus said, look at me. I'm the benchmark while he's here on this earth. You'll not find it. He was the benchmark, but he never drew attention to himself. Right? Well, preacher, in the Old Testament, he says, come unto me all... Yeah, but we're in the New Testament. And so what you have to recognize is, is that if you're able to live it, thank God. Amen. By the grace of God, you're able to live it. It's not you. And, you know, just because you don't drink caffeine and smoke cigarettes, you wouldn't do it if you weren't saved. You don't want to do it. Well, I abstain from sugar and I abstain from cigarettes and I don't drink liquor. You know why a lot of people don't drink liquor? It's not because they're saved. They don't drink liquor because they have a history of people in their family that drank liquor and wrecked their houses. The thing you have to recognize is, is that you're not doomed to commit the things that your mom and dad committed. That boy that had two twins, uh, two, two twin boys, that man that had two twin boys, he was an alcoholic, he was a drunk, and he was in trouble all the time. And one of his boys wound up being a drunk, and the other boy didn't. And they came to the boys and they said, why are you a drunk? And the guy said, I'm a drunk because my daddy was a drunk. And they came to the other boy that wasn't a drunk and said, why are you not a drunk? He said, because my daddy was a drunk. See, it's all about how you decide to make your own decision. If I could just get you to understand, it's not your job to decide that for somebody else. We have people in here right now, man, they're blinded as a mosquito with his eye punched out, man. I mean, they're, 
They're blind as a bat when it comes to spiritual things. You say, what do you do? God has to teach them. It's not your job to change them. If you're in a big hurry to get that outside change, the problem you run into is, is that now all of a sudden they look high and tight and spit white. Well, maybe they're in the Marine Corps. It doesn't make them spiritual. It just makes you more comfortable. Quit worrying about what people think when somebody walks in here and they look like something the cat drug in and worried about what somebody's going to think about you. Don't worry about it. Who cares? They're just looking for help. You were looking for help one day. You know what that is sometimes? That's sometimes maybe it's an angel unaware. I don't know about that. But sometimes I think the Lord allows that stuff to happen to upset you Pharisees. And you know what? To remind you where you would be if God hadn't intervened. What if you hadn't had a good parents? What if you hadn't had a good upbringing? What if all the stuff that would happened in your life and all the trouble you went through as a kid, what if it kept you out of trouble and you'd be in hell right now if it wasn't for that? You don't know that. And the thing is, it's you have to resist this idea uh, that being pharisaical and having one more rule or regulation makes me more spiritual. No, it doesn't. Obedience is the key. Whatever the Lord tells you to do. Now God's going to give you a couple of things here. Look in chapter 3 of the book of Colossians. And He's going to show you a couple of things here about how to run your life. What you ought to focus on. Look in chapter 3 in verses 1 to 4. And you can't read that uh, very long at all before you recognize where your focus ought to be. I believe if you read those first four verses, you'll find with Christ uh, on things above, with Christ, who is our life, with Him. That's just the things I'm just picking out, looking at it off the top of my head here. Where your affections ought to be. Where should your affections be? Above. So you know the first thing He tells you? Preaching is supposed to have you locked in upstairs, not down here. I'm supposed to constantly have you so uncomfortable down here, you cannot wait to get out of here and get up there. The focal point is supposed to be I'm looking up, I'm looking up, I'm looking up, looking for the blessed hope, glorious appearing of great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. Uh, looking for Jesus, looking for Jesus, looking for Jesus. Judgment seat of Christ, eternity, forever, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, gold streets, gates of pearl, walls of jasper, things up in heaven, conform to his image, mind like Christ, doing what... Uh, that's where you're supposed to be. Now the Lord tells you that. That's in that passage. Get my eyes on Him. Every time that you have a problem, ladies and gentlemen, you got your eyes off of Jesus and got it on somebody else. Or you got it on the news media. The Lord told you don't do that. Philippians chapter number 4, we won't turn there. For whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are right, whatsoever things are, are, are uh, virtuous, whatsoever things are uh, peaceable, whatever. There's, there's a bunch of them that are listed there in Philippians 4. He said, think on these things. Not a one of those things say, think on your brothers and sisters. Now, whenever your brothers and sisters are upsetting you to the point, you know what it means? You're too earthly minded. You're worried about yourself. You're worried about your reputation. You're worried about something connected with you. That's selfishness. That's pride. That's arrogance. That's you feeling like you were mistreated and God had something to do with that. You won't look up because you're looking down all the time. You say, what am I supposed to do? Look up. Your redemption draws nigh. God knew what was happening. Didn't he? He let it happen, didn't he? It's how you respond to it that he's interested in it. Doesn't Paul go to prison? I mean, if anybody was obedient to the Lord, wasn't it Paul? 
You know what happens? Paul goes over and he starts preaching Jesus. I'm in Acts chapter 16. Don't turn there. And he's preaching Jesus. He's doing what he's supposed to do, if I'm reading the Bible right. And he winds up down there answering the Macedonian call. He's traveled by ship over there going on a mission for the Lord. And they get over there and they're greeted by a woman with a familiar spirit there and a spirit of divination and so on and so forth. And she keeps interrupting. They take him in there and they beat the tar out of him and they put him in shackles and they put him back in the back part of the prison and the darkest part of the prison. Didn't God let all that happen? It cost him in his flesh. Why? He got his back beat open. For what? Preaching. Who was he hurting with preaching? You say, what happened? Oh, they had a big uh, crowd gathered man. It was like a Billy Graham crusade and had thousands of people saved. And he rode into the sword of the Lord and told them this and that and the other. <laughs> no, they wound up back in the back part of that prison where the roaches and the rats fighting over table scraps. And the Lord comes down in there and Paul says, hey, you know something we need to do? Let's just sing the doxology. Boy, praise God from whom all blessings from. Silas says, Mike, and back, you're killing me. And Paul said, man, ain't this a blessing? I'm in prisoner of Jesus Christ. He doesn't even blame the jailer. And the jailer's the one with the whip in his hand. And put him in the shackles. And then you know what happens. The doors and the bars open up there and Paul walks out there and the Philippian jailer and his family get saved. Now what you have to recognize is, is that when the preaching goes on, the preaching is supposed to get your mind off of things down here and not up there. That's why we don't preach out of the headlines. That's why I don't... I don't preach politics from the pulpit. Why? This is God's time. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't care if you're involved in that stuff. Don't you misunderstand me. You be involved in whatever you want. Some of you people, you're involved in that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you're the ones that are involved in sports or you're involved in hunting or you're involved in fishing or you're involved in work or you're involved and you think that's okay, but you make fun of somebody that uses their time to, to try to find out what's going on governmentally. You got real quiet there. You don't get to pick and choose that for other people. That's their pastime. It's their time. I just don't use that here. You don't hear me preaching rip from the headlines. Well, preacher, you know what makes it more practical? And what if you do if you do that? Kind of, what does that do? That stuff's been going on since Hitler was around in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, all up through there. And people, you know, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. That's come and gone. Uh, everybody thought the second advent's going to take place when the towers came down in 11. On 9-11, this is it. It's all done. It's finished. We're still here. How many years has it been now? 22 years. Didn't you just have an anniversary for that, I think? 22 years, right? Happened on 9 Yeah, 22 years. We're still here. They replaced the buildings. The conspiracy theories are still flying. So if I wasted time in the pulpit on that, what good would that do you in eternity? None. Alright, so the first thing you want to recognize is what you should be thinking about. How dare the Lord tell me what I ought to be thinking about? Well, it's in your personal life and God tells you that's what you ought to do. And then in verses 5 to 14, in your spiritual life. And we won't take the time to read all that kind of stuff, but you know what He does? He gives you some pretty stout instruction there. You read verses 5 to 14, go through that expositorily, and I'm not going to do it right now. I may cover it this morning, I mean uh, this evening. But you go through that thing expositorily. You know what he does? He gives you a bunch of, of how you ought to be acting. 
Can I say this to you? Write in your Bible, this is how I should be acting. Not how I mandate or dictate somebody else should be acting. Amen. It's personal. The only way you can do that is to set your eyes on Him. And if you set your eyes on Him, the first thing you're going to feel is a little prick of conviction. And realize you are not what you ought to be. Because why? You're looking at Him in the mirror. And when you look at Him in the mirror, you know what you realize? How far short you fall. No Christian has ever held up to that. The Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 7. In Romans 7, he's 25 years saved since his Damascus Road experience there. Fell off of his beast there and got down in the dirt and lost his eyesight and then got his eyesight back and all that three days later when Ananias came in. Paul says about 27 years after he's saved, he said, the things I should do, I don't. And the things I shouldn't, I do. Paul says, Paul says, Oh wretched man that these people are that I'm hanging around with and these people who don't follow my preaching and they don't follow my teaching and I've been giving my life up now for 27 years and I gave up that stuff in Philippians chapter number 3 and I gave all, and these people don't care and these people could care less and these people won't live and these people don't know and these people, that ain't what he says. That's in the living Bible. Something that will appeal to your flesh. The Bible's not used to put a light on yourself. The Bible says that the, that the Bible, he says, thy word is a lamp to, what, to whose feet? Your feet. Not your feet. And a light to, not to shine on yourself. It's down. And you're in the dark. You're walking along and looking to where I'm supposed to step next. That's what the, the Bible's not used to shine on everybody else. The Bible's not used to, you know, let me be the example now. How are you doing? That's not how the Bible's set up. You know what Paul said? Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Why, that's a Pharisee of Pharisees above the law blameless. If anybody had bragging rights, Paul did. Paul brags in 2 Corinthians 11. He said, they say they're ministers, I more. And then you know what? You're thinking, okay, Paul, you're braggadocious. Let's hear about it. And he said, boy, I live right, I spit white, I tithe and I give over and above the income, I do this and I do that, and so on and so forth. No, that's modern independent Baptist. I'm better than the Mormons and the Catholics and the Charismatics and the Church of Christ and every other cult out there that, that's out there and I'm better than the Muslims and I'm better than this and I'm better than that and I'm better and boy, I mean, look at me. I got KJV under my arm. No, Paul said, uh, beaten, fasting's often, hunger's often. Uh, of the Jews, uh, the ones he's trying to help out there, uh, I received uh, 40 stripes, say one, five times. Paul comes through there and he said, naked and in jail at a day and a night in the deep and perils of my own countrymen and perils of this and perils of that and perils of robbers and perils of this and the care of all the churches. That's Paul bragging. He's saying that's what the ministry is. The ministry is not lifting yourself up. Are you a minister? Are you an encourager or at a dis in there? Discourager. When people see you coming, what do they think? Oh, man, here we go again. I'm getting, getting in trouble again. Or do they think, boy, I like being around them. They at least encourage me. Do you encourage people to do wrong? Or do you encourage them to do right? I don't know. I can't answer that for you. But it's free will, ladies and gentlemen. 
You spend as much time praying for them as you do talking about them. You might see God do something for them. I mean, God did something with you, didn't He? You old braying donkey, you. I mean, the ministry is like a donkey standing in the middle of a, of a hailstorm. If you want to know the truth of the matter, you just have to stand there and take it. Did you get that? No matter what you do, you're going to get criticized for it. Okay, well then what do you do? You stand there and take it. That's your donkey. You're no better than a donkey. What do you think the donkey does? He stands there and gets hit by the hailstones. Get hit by the hailstones, waits for the storm to pass, and then he heals up and goes and rolls in the dirt a little while and stuff like that. Good way to get minerals anyway. And so then he gets back up. He's got welts and bruises and stuff. What happened to you? I was standing in the middle of the hailstorm. Well, why didn't you seek cover? I was in the middle of a concrete jungle. There's nowhere to go, no building to run to. That's what preaching's supposed to inform you about. Is that how you've been informed? What time is it? I got two minutes. All right, so it tells you about your, your spiritual life. Uh, look in verse number 18. He's going to tell you some things about your family life. Look at 18 and 19 and oh, uh, 20 and 21. Look at that. How, how dare you? You can't do things right. Wives, husbands, children, fathers. You can't do that until you get your spiritual life straight. Spiritual life first. How do I do that? Keep my eyes on Him. You see the progression? And we'll cover this tonight. But then the next thing he does is he'll tell you about how you ought to do your business life. Look in chapter, I mean, look at the same chapter there. Look in 22 all the way through 4.1. That's how you conduct your life with a business. He tells you how to do it. And then he tells you in your secular life, look in uh, chapter 4, look in chapters uh, 2 to 6. Or verses 2 to 6. You say, what is that, preacher? That's how you ought to have a testimony to other people. That's what that is. All that in the Bible? Yeah, and that's what preaching is supposed to do. Preaching is not just supposed to be a running homily of telling you certain stories to make you feel good about your wickedness. It's just, hey, let's see if we're doing okay between us and Jesus. It should stimulate you. It should be interesting. It's one of the things that's happened nowadays. We don't work at it anymore. We think we've arrived and we think that preaching all has to be dryer and cracker juice. Well, it doesn't. But it does need to be effective. Father, bless your word this morning.